You know, when I was, uh, when I was 18, I, uh, I did a gap year with Youth for Christ. I joined a team called Activate, uh, and it was a creative arts team. We were um, all singing, dancing, dramatic. We did all sorts of things, and all the evidence has been destroyed of that season in my life, um, other, than, other than what God has done in me since then. Um, but uh, during that year, I was really excited to join up in September. It was the first time I'd ever moved out of Liverpool. I'd obviously been out of the city of Liverpool. I'd been on holiday and visited various places, but it was the first time I'd lived in a place that wasn't Liverpool, and that year was the first time I realised I had a Scouse accent. Before then, everybody, everybody around me talked normal. Everybody had a normal accent. Everybody went <laughs> at the end of their sentences. Like, and it was normal, and it was what my life was to me. And I moved down south, like to, to Kent in Gillingham, and I was like, what language are these people speaking? And then I moved to Birmingham, and I was like, oh my word, it's like a whole other place. And it was the first time I realized that I was different and I had a different voice to people, and, and I kind of spent, spent the first couple of months settling in. I, I came quite confident because I was leading some stuff in, in my church back home, and I was like, and God did some stuff and chipped away some of my arrogance there. But um, around, around December time, I got this little niggling feeling inside me that people didn't like me. And I began to think people just thought that I was this loud, gobby scouser who was coming down and thought he was all that, and was, you know, just a bit of a joker, and it kind of simmered at me during the Christmas break, and in January, February time, it became a real deal for me, and I began to, to think, nobody likes me here, everybody just thinks I'm an idiot, and I was beginning to, to count down the months till I could get back to the safety of the city of Liverpool, where people knew me, and it, it got to a point where, in March, we went on this, uh, what was called a mid-year retreat, because it was a retreat in the middle of the year, and um, on the way there, I thought, right, I am not going to give people more ammunition to not like me anymore. So I thought, right, I am going to make a decision. I'm going to be introverted. I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to speak to many people. I'm going to keep myself to myself. I'm not going to crack jokes. I'm not going to be this loud, gobby scouser that I believed everybody thought I was. And I spent the entire week at this retreat center being quiet, keeping myself to myself, staying out the way, um, just, just keeping myself to myself and being introverted. And uh, towards the end of the week, uh, somebody uh, spoke one of the nights, and I felt like God speak to me, so I went forward for some prayer. And this guy called Paul prayed for me, and he prayed some stuff, and then he said, Andy, I think God wants to say to you that he wants to use you for who you are. And he said, God wants to use you in a way that he's not using anybody else in Youth for Christ at the moment to reach people. And you're going to reach people that nobody else is reaching because God's called you here to be you. And that was like a stake went into the center of my heart. It was like God spoke to something that was going on in my soul that I hadn't shared with anybody. But God knew what was going on in me, that I was looking and comparing myself to everybody around me and I was coming up short. And God said, Andy, you need to stop comparing yourself to other people. You need to live your best life because I have called you to be you. I have put these personality traits in you. I have made you a loud gobby scouser and I'm going to use you to, to reach people in that way. And God drove something into my heart that day. And it's something that I come back to regularly because I find myself 
go into meetings and I go to meetings with other leaders. I go to meetings with, with other youth pastors. I go to conferences and, and that rises up in me every now and again and these insecurities come up and I go, oh, Andy, just shut up. Stop making jokes in meetings, will you, Andy? Andy, stop being a loud gobby scouser because no one likes you. And I have to remind myself, no, God called me to be this. God created me to be this way. And you know, I want to I challenge us today to live our best life. You, I want you to live your best life. That's what God spoke to me. Theodore Roosevelt, or Teddy as his mates call him, said this, comparison is the thief of joy. When we compare ourselves to other people, it robs us of joy. When we constantly compare and contrast and look at ourselves and look at other people, look at people on social media, on the telly, on people who, people who are on stage on a Sunday, we compare ourselves and it robs us of the joy that God wants to give us in our lives. And I really believe that God wants to speak to some people today who've been comparing themselves to others, who have been robbed of the joy of life. And God wants to speak to you this morning. And we're going to do that by looking at one of the most dysfunctional families that appear in the Bible, and it's the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, if you're new to church and you don't know the story of Jacob and Esau, you are not going to believe what you are going to hear this morning. It is a crazy story. Those of you that know the story of Jacob and Esau might know where I'm going, but it appears in Genesis 25. And Jacob and Esau, um, their parents are Isaac, who's getting old, um, and Rebecca. And we're going to uh, read the start of the story together in Genesis 25. It says, the babies jostled each other within her, that's Rebecca. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, not your room, your womb. <laughs> and two people, peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand, grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. That's going to be important later on. But here we, we meet Jacob and Esau, the birth, the moment of coming into the world. And Esau is named Esau because he was red and he was hairy. And actually, when you, when you read it in the Bible, if you have a proper paper Bible, it has like these little asterisks or little letter A or, or letters in italics. And you go to the bottom and it tells you. And at the bottom of my Bible, it says Jacob literally means heel grabber slash deceiver. And this moment where Jacob is born, he's born grasping his brother's heel. And that is the name that he's given. He's given the name, the heel grabber. That one moment defines his entire life. Aren't you sick and tired of moments defining us? Mistakes, failures, defining the life that we live. I was watching a YouTube video of a guy who... Um, a number of years ago, he came out of a football ground pretty angry because his team had lost. And he, he said some words into a camera that were awful. And he lost his temper and said some things that he shouldn't say. And he, he was sharing in this YouTube video and he said, he said, those 11 seconds have defined my life for the last five or six years. Because when I see people, they go, you're the guy that said that. You're the guy that was on that video that said these things. And he said, I can't get away from what I did in that day. I'm tired of moments defining us, our mistakes and our failures, defining who we become. 
I remember when I was in year seven, eight, and nine, I was a pain in the backside at school. I was trying to be cheeky. I was trying to be the hardest in the school. I was trying to be the funniest. I was back chatting to teachers, doing stuff I shouldn't do, locking teachers in cupboards. That's a great story for another time. And, and I did loads and loads of stuff that I shouldn't do. But at the end of year nine, at the age of 14, I encountered Jesus and met Jesus and thought, I need to follow this guy and I need to do everything I can to live my life for Jesus. And in year 10, I started trying to live for Jesus and it was really hard because the name that I'd given myself in year seven, eight and nine, I couldn't get away from it in year 10 and 11. And teachers and people around me were treating me like the Andy Hancock that I used to be rather than the Andy Hancock that I now was. You see, moments and failures can define who we become. And Jacob finds this in this moment. And you know, Jacob and Esau, they're compared to each other right from the start of life. You've got Esau, who's hairy and red, and that's his name. And then you've got Jacob, who's, who's a little heel grabber and a deceiver. And they're compared to each other right from the start of life. And we naturally compare stuff. We naturally look at stuff and go, well, well, he's not as good as that guy was. And, you know, if you watch sport, you can go, well, that person's not as good as that person is. And we naturally compare. Maybe you're, you're doing that right now and you're looking at me and going, well, this talk's good, but it's not as good as last week. And, like, we naturally compare it. We compare songs. We compare everything in life. And, you know, it's, it can be really unhelpful for people. It can be really unhelpful, not just for us in our, our own soul and our own heart, but it can be really unhelpful for the people who are being compared. And we need to really watch that. And we see it here with Jacob and Esau as we go in to the next bit. It says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, that phrase, stayed among the tents, is interesting. It's, there's discussions between uh, scholars of what that means. Either it means he was pretty lazy, or it means that he would stay among the tents and study. Either way, you've got Esau, who's this big, manly, muscly, skillful hunter provider, and you've got Jacob, who's a skinny, lazy geek who likes to stay at home and he's a little mama's boy. And you've got these two people who are compared from the start. And the dad loves one more, and the mum loves one more, and, and it's all a little bit messy. And I wonder, how different could this story have been if they hadn't been compared from the start? How different would this story have been if they hadn't, rather than being compared, they'd have looked to collaborate? What if they'd have got them together and gone, Esau, you're brilliant at this, and Jacob, you're great at this. Why don't you work together so we can move this forward and achieve more? You see, so often we naturally compete. We aim for competition when our aim should be collaboration. And, and we, we don't look for our place in the world. We look to be that person or that person, and we compare and contrast, and I think we lose something massive. You know, Paul, who uh, was one of the early Christians who's trying to encourage the, the church and how to, how to grow and how to live for Jesus in the, in the world. He wrote this to the, the church in Philippi. Uh, it should come up on the screens. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's what collaboration looks like. Look into the interests 
of others, looking around the room today and going, how can I serve that person next to me? How can I, rather than compete with them, how can I collaborate with them? How can I move this thing forward? We need to feed collaboration rather than competition in each other. We need to do that in our kids. Parents, please don't say, why can't you be more like your brother? Let's not feed competition. Let's feed collaboration. Let's celebrate people for who they are and who God created them to be. And let's encourage them to be all that they can be. Let's encourage each other to live your best life. Let's look for collaboration rather than competition. And you know, our world naturally leans us towards that comparison and competing thing. And you know, the, the world of social media and advertising really thrives on that thing in us that makes us want to be more. It makes us feel inadequate and compare ourselves to that person on the telly or that person on Instagram or, or that person that, that, that's got all the stuff, the person that's got the latest Apple products. Like we naturally compare and, and, and social media and, and advertising feeds that in us. And sometimes it can be really unhelpful if you are on social media to sit there and scroll through because you compare yourself with them. I found a poem that, that really highlights this um, about social media. It says, I know a girl whose one goal was to go, to go and visit Rome. When she finally got to Rome, all she did was post pictures for people at home because all that matters was, was impressing everyone she knows. I know another girl that's crying out for help but her latest caption is, leave me alone. I know a girl happily married till she puts down her phone. I know a girl that saves pictures from places she's flown to post later and make it look like she's still on the go. Look at the way we live. I want to say, don't compare your version of real life to somebody else's online control content. Or if you're not on social media, don't compare your version of real life to somebody's controlled content that they share with you. Their best stories. It's so dangerous when we look at social media. We can live in this place where our lives never measure up to the things that we're seeing on the screen, to the people that we're seeing around us. You know, the dysfunction in this, in this relationship between Esau and Jacob really ramps up because what happens is um, Esau, because he was the firstborn in the family, he's the one that, that gets the blessing of the father. He's the one that will... will take on the throne, even though there's no throne to take on, but you know what I'm kind of saying there. And um, he, um, he's, he's going to be blessed. And, and there's this moment where, where Esau comes home from hunting and has this conversation with Jacob. And it is, it is crazy when you read it. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. He sounds like a teenage boy there. I'm starving. Um, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. This is crazy. Like, Esau sells the thing that is most important to him, the thing that is his birthright. He sells it for a bowl of stew. That is stupid. See what I did there? Thank you. Here all day. 
But, you know, Leon highlighted this really brilliantly last week. And if you weren't here last week or you're listening online and you haven't listened to last week, so I'd really encourage you, find a way to listen to it. And Leon talked about see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. Here, Esau, he sees a stew, sells, smells a stew, wants the stew, eats the stew. And he gives up what is most important to him for what is in front of him in the moment. Andy Stanley says this. He says, don't trade the ultimate for the immediate. That's so good. So often we compare ourselves and we look at what that person's got and we look at what we've got and we go, I want that more than I want this. And we give up the ultimate for what's in front of us in the moment. And we need to not do that. We need to find ways to avoid it. And you know, we all live in that tension of wanting what we don't have. We live in that tension of wanting more and comparing ourselves to others and always coming up short. And this moment is the start of Jacob trying to be someone that he's not. He's trying to live his brother's best life rather than his own best life. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. Because Isaac is getting old. He can't see anymore. He, he knows that death is on the way. And it, he says, right, Esau, I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to hand over the family to you. So what you need to do is you need to go out and hunt. Get me some wild game. Get me something. We'll have a little meal. I'll bless you. And then you'll be the kind of head of the family from there. So uh, Esau goes out and Rebecca hears, uh, overhears what, what's happened. And uh, she goes and gets Jacob and says, Jacob, this is your moment. You need to sneak in and steal this blessing. Um, so she tells Jacob to go and uh, kill one of, one of the goats that's, that's in their herd that they look after. And uh, this is what happens in the passage. It says, then Isaac said to Jacob, so Jacob has gone to Isaac. He says, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother, so, uh, like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. You see, Jacob took the skin of, of a goat and, and, and made it look like he was hairy and covered himself in the blood of an animal, so he smelt like his brother and he, looked, and he felt like his brother. Jacob dressed up like his brother to steal a blessing. And what's fascinating is his dad didn't recognize it. Because I think sometimes we can be so good at pretending to be someone that we're not, that even the people closest to us don't recognize it. We have been, so, been pretending to be someone and something that we're not for so long that so many people around us who we would consider close to us don't recognize it. And what's crazy is after, after Jacob gets the blessing... He can't stay in the house because Esau finds out and Esau is ready to kick off. Esau is ready to kill Jacob. So what Jacob has to do is he has to flee. Like what good is the blessing of his father if he can't stay in the house to, to enjoy it? I don't know whether you've ever had something that, and, and wanted something for so long and when you finally got it, it wasn't all that. I remember years ago when I lived in Manchester, um, I, uh, I won a competition on the radio to get tickets for the VIP opening of Krispy Kreme Donuts in the Trafford Centre. And 
honestly, it, I was buzzing. I was like, free donuts. And they were saying, like, on the radio, they were like, the cast of Hollyoaks is going to be there. And I was a single guy at the time, and I was thinking, come on. Uh, and then, you know, the cast of Coronation Street were going to be there, and I was buzzing. I was like, I'm going to get free donuts. I'm going to hang out with some celebrities. You know, sooner or later, I'll be on Coronation Street. And I was thinking all these things, and I got there, and there was free donuts, but there was no Coronation Street actors there was none of the cast of Hollyoaks. The biggest celebrity there was a guy who'd finished sixth in Big Brother the year before. And I was gutted. I had a great time, but I was disappointed. And you know, so often we want something and we sacrifice and we try and be someone that we're not and it ends up being not as good. Like what good is it for people to like you for someone that you're not? That you're so worried that if you take the mask off, if you take the filters off, if you start being your real self around them, they're just going to ditch you. What good a blessing is that? And Jacob finds that in that moment. And, you know, my main point today is that you will never be happy pretending to be someone that you're not. You'll never be happy pretending to be someone or something that you're not. In other words, God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can't meet you in this filtered and edited to perfection you. God wants to meet the real you. You see, we can cover ourselves with all this stuff. We can wear the right clothes. We can drive the right cars. We can post the right things. We can live this pretend life and we can fool others around us, but we can't fool ourselves and we can't fool God. God wants to meet with the real, authentic you. God wants to meet with you for who you are, not for who you are pretend to be. And Jacob um, has fleed the, the place. He's, he's, years later, he finds himself um, with this moment, this incredible moment where a man appears who, who is thought to be God. And he has this interesting encounter where, where he wrestles with this man through the night. And it's, it's an amazing encounter. And what happens is, is, is Jacob's hip is wrenched out of its socket. So Jacob is injured, but he's wrestling with this man thought to be God, and he's wrestling through the night. And then it says this towards the end of the wrestle in Genesis 32. It says, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go. Here he is, Jacob, the heel grabber, not letting go, holding on, grabbing on, saying, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And here he is, he's beginning to come back to who he is. He's beginning to go, I'm the heel grabber and I'm not letting go. And as a side note, that's not really to do with comparison, but just as I was preparing it, you know, the, the sense of Jacob refuses to let go until this man who is thought to be God will bless him. And you know, so often we go through seasons in our lives where we feel like that God has let go of us. And God doesn't let go of us, but sometimes we let go of God. And there's times, like I shared before, about that sword in the, in the chunk of ice that we need to wedge it in and say, in the middle of the storms, I'm going to sing. In the middle of the storms, I'm going to raise a hallelujah. In the middle of the storms, I am not letting go of who God is. I am not letting go until God blesses me. I love what somebody in the church shared when they, um, they shared their story of how they'd been bereaved. And in that season, they came to church and they felt like they couldn't sing and that it was a struggle. But she said, I knew all I had to do was get in the way of God. Get in the way of God and say, God, I can't sing. This is really tough right now, but I'm going to get in your way. And I'm, I'm going to get in your way until you bless me. 
I'm going to get, put myself in a place where you are going to speak to me. And I think some of us, we find ourselves in really hard and difficult and heartbreaking situations. And all we can do is be like Jacob and hold on and say, God, I'm not letting go. I am not letting go until you bless me. I am not letting go until the circumstances change, until my perspective changes. I am not letting go of you because I want you to bless me. And you know, the, the story goes on and the, and the next bit, the, the guy says to him, what is your name, the man asked? He replied, Jacob. In this moment, through wrestling with a man thought to be God, through, through this experience, Jacob finds himself no longer pretending to be someone that he's not, but he's who he is. He's authentic. He's finally himself and he says, I'm Jacob. I'm the guy that stole my brother's blessing. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the deceiver. He takes the mask off. He takes the filters off. You know, if you want to live your best life, it starts with being comfortable with who you are. It starts with being comfortable with who God created you to be. It starts with being real and authentic before God. Let God speak truth into who you are. And Jacob reaches this moment and and he stops trying to be something he's not because he's finally realized the bottom line of my talk today, that you'll never be happy pretending to be someone that you're not. You know, you could, you could try and be me, but you'll never be as good at being me as I am. Like, I'm confident that I am the best Andy Hancock you will ever meet because I'm the best at being me. And you could shave your head and you could go in every sentence and you could do all of that, but you would never be as good at being me as I am as being me. Because God created me to be me. God put the personality and the character traits in me for me to live my best life. And I don't want you to try and be me. Please don't. You, you won't enjoy it. It'll be awful. <laughs> but I want you to be you. Stop trying to be somebody that you're not trying. Stop trying to live somebody else's best life. What if we aimed for collaboration together rather than competition? Rather than looking around at the world and going, I'm not good as that person, or I can't do that, or I want to do that, but I haven't got the skills to do it, but I still want to do it anyway. You know, on Easter Sunday, it was me living a dream when I got to sing a line and, and sing the Backstreet Boys, and I was living the boy band dream. But you know what? It would be foolish of me to try and be in the band because I can't sing. And that is not my best life. My best life is being who God created me to be. And please don't take that as a, as a statement of arrogance. It's not me going, I am what I am. Take it or leave it. That's not what I'm saying. God's working on my character traits. I, want, I constantly want to become the best version of myself that God has created me to be. I'm not saying that as a take it or leave it kind of thing. I'm saying let's, let's, let's be who we were created to be. And you know, if, if you're a person who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, like, I want you to know that you don't have to have it all sorted before you come to God. You don't have to go, do you know what? I've, I've, I've dealt with that issue. I'll deal with this issue. I'll deal with that. I can deal with that. Right now, I can come and follow Jesus. That's not the way it works. Jesus says, come and follow me with all your mess, with all your mistakes, with all your failures, with all your questions, with all your doubts. Come and follow me, and I will take you from where you are to where you need to be. We don't need to have it all sorted before we come to God. And what's amazing is then the man, uh, God blesses Jacob. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel. 
because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Name changes are really significant in the Bible. God changes the game for Jacob. He says, you're no longer going to be called the heel grabber and the deceiver, but I have got a new name for you. I have got something new for you to step into. But it started with him being authentic and real before God. It started with him going, this is who I am, God. Would you take me to where I need to be? And God does that. And I I love that and, and, and what God does there. And, you know, I love seeing what God does in people's lives uh, in this church and through, through the youth ministry, which I'm heavily involved in and have the privilege of leading. And it was, it was amazing a couple of weeks ago to see so many young people sharing their stories on this stage and being baptized. And I love what, what Kieran said. I've took a chunk of his story. He says, God has done new things in me. Instead of fear, I have freedom. Instead of weakness, I have strength. Where I walked in the dark, I now shine in the light of Jesus. Where I had hate, I now have loved. Have love. God has changed me in so many ways. He has my light in the darkness, my way maker. It's incredible. When we're real and authentic before God, we can stop comparing and contrasting and competing and say, God, would you help me live my best life? And there's this really interesting moment. Years later, and a book later in the Bible, because the Bible's not one book, it's a collection of many books. And in the next book in the Bible, in Exodus, God is trying to convince a guy called Moses to step up into leadership. And, and God is speaking to him and inspiring him and saying, you can do it, Moses. And Moses is having all these questions with God. And God says this to him, it's in Exodus 3. It says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, who was Jacob's granddad, who was like this really cool, amazing guy of faith. The God of Isaac, Jacob's dad, again, someone who was awesome in the faith. And the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name that you shall call me from generation to generation. Bands, if you could come up, that would be great. You see, it's interesting there, isn't it? He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and then he says, the God of Jacob. I thought God had changed his name. I thought God had changed his name to Israel. So why then, years later, is God saying, I'm the God of Jacob, not the God of Israel? If God's changed the game for him and changed his name, why wouldn't he say that? I think God's making a point here to Moses. I think what he's saying is, Abraham and Isaac were amazing leaders and phenomenal leaders, and I am their God, and they got it right so often, and they were brilliant. But I'm also the God of the guy who got it really wrong. I'm the God of the guy who pretended to be someone he wasn't for so long. I'm the God of the guy who was the heel grabber and the deceiver. I am the God of your mistakes and your failures. When you mess it up, when you get it wrong, when you've got questions, when you've got doubts, I am still your God. I think God is communicating something really clear. He's not after perfection. He's not after us having it all boxed off and sorted out. He's after hearts that are willing to follow him. He wants to, I believe God wants to turn the thing that has defined you, that mistake, that failure that you feel has defined your life to this point. I think God wants to turn it around and use it for his glory. I believe God wants to take the thing that has held you back for so long 
He wants you to come and be real before him. And then he's going to use that thing to propel you forward into the plan that he's got for you so that you can live your best life. Have you ever wondered how the cross, the symbol of the cross, became to be the symbol of Christianity? I, I hadn't. I just assumed someone would just decided it one day. Um, but I've been doing a devotional thing by, by a guy called T.D. Jakes, and he said it, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. So um, in the early church, uh, there was, uh, in Rome, there was the, the Emperor Constantine and his mother, Helena, she went on this mission to find the original cross of Jesus. And she scoured the earth trying to find the original cross that Jesus died on. And after years of trying and years of searching, she finally thought what she she finally found what she thought to be the original cross of Jesus. And by that time it was splintered and fallen apart. So what she chose to do is she took chunks of the cross. She took took splinters and slithers of the cross and she sent it to the church around the world to encourage them and say, don't forget, this is what we're living for. This is the thing that changed everything. And those churches took those pieces and they formed them into little mini crosses. And the church was encouraged. People came to know Jesus and came to follow him because they saw the actual cross that Jesus died on. And you know, it's amazing. And T.D. Jake says, an artifact of atrocity was turned into an icon of adoration. The thing that was meant to kill Jesus, the thing that was meant to destroy the Jesus movement became the thing that propelled it forward. And I really believe God wants to do that. But it starts with knowing that we'll never be happy pretending to be someone we're not. It starts with coming and being authentic before God authentic before Jesus and saying this is who I am this is who I am this is no filters I'm taking the mask off Jesus these are the things that have held me back these are the things that I feel have defined me and we're going to have an opportunity to do that because we're going to take communion together this is something that Jesus did with his disciples the night before he died on a cross and he said would you would you do this in remembrance of me and we're going to do that the stations all around the room and uh, the bread is gluten free so you don't have to worry about that and what I want to invite you to do is to come and take communion and take a moment to be real and authentic before God come before the thing that's supposed to remember what Jesus did for us come before the cross and say Jesus this is who I am I've been pretending to be someone I'm not I've been hiding things from you. I've been hiding things from people. But this is who I am. And I want to be authentic. And I want you to take the thing that has held me back for so long and turn it into something for your glory. So I wonder if you'd stand with me and I I want to pray. We're going to sing a song that's called, Here's My Heart, Lord, Speak What Is True. You might want to take a moment before you come forward to to just say to to God, here's my heart. Would you speak what is true? God, I pray that you would, in this moment, would you give us the boldness and the courage to take the mask off, to take down the filters, 
to be real and authentic before you. God, I pray that we might have an encounter like Jacob had there, that you might bless us, that you might speak to us, that you might transform us in this moment. God, I pray that you would help us to live our best life. And that's the life that you've called us to live. No one else's but ours. So God, as we sing this song that's almost like a prayer, as we come and we remember what you did for us, God, I pray that that would be a holy moment and that you might meet with us. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. As we sing, when you feel ready, please do come and take communion and let's respond together.